Three Kings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, The False Teacher's Denial of the Lord's Return, Part 5. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Please note, Mastodon has killed our account. They have not given any specific reasoning for this action by them. We are still found on Twitter, and I believe we will leave social media at that. I will look into another site like Mastodon when it is feasible to do. However, do not wait for it. I find it interesting that social media entities fight for free speech. Then, they quench religious postings. Another news item. Our plumbing is done and working again. It was a good thing I planned around it so this study would not be late. Finally, last week we posted part four of this present message. This week, we are posting an unprecedented Part 5. While I work to keep to no more than three parts, this passage of Peter's is too good to ignore. Hence, Part 4, and now, Part 5. In our last episode titled, The False Teacher's Denial of the Lord's Return, Part 4, May 8th, we learned about the commonly used Bible phrase, In my world, anyway, a single day is like a thousand years, with the Lord, and a thousand years is like a single day. I told you about many people here in my part of the world that use only this portion of Scripture to speak mystery. Further, they offer no teaching on this but speak as if they know something. They do not. They only use this as a means of trying to convey they know something you do not know and they will not teach you. As far as they are concerned, you need to find out what they mean or teach by yourself. How absurd is that? We also learned about another scripture passage that speaks of a delay in time before the return of our great Lord. The reasoning is, It gives us space for repentance without any inconvenience to. To find out more, listen to our previous episode titled, The False Teacher's Denial of the Lord's Return, Part 4. Today, our scripture reads, Since all these things are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must we be? conducting our lives in holiness and godliness, while waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of this day, the heavens will be burned up and dissolved, and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze. But, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. From Free version of New English Translation with limited notes, 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Verse 11, between commas, asks 
the question, What sort of people must we be? Verse 12 suggests the notion that we can hasten the coming of the day of God. Really? How does that work? Verse 13 says that we are, according to his promise, waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. Three good things to look at in this scripture passage. First, verse 11. Since all these things are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must we be conducting our lives in holiness and godliness? Comma. Verse 12 completes the full thought. However, like I said before, we want to examine the question raised here. What sort of people must we be? In holy conduct and piety, that is, this fact ought to be allowed to exert a deep and abiding influence on us, to induce us to lead holy lives. We should feel that there is nothing permanent on the earth, that this is not our abiding home, and that our great interests are in another world. We should be serious, humble, and prayerful, and should make it our great object to be prepared for the solemn scenes through which we are soon to pass. An habitual contemplation of the truth that all that we see is soon to pass away, what would produce a most salutary effect on the mind. It would make us serious. It would repress ambition. It would lead us not to desire to accumulate what must so soon be destroyed. It would prompt us to lay up our treasures in heaven. It would cause us to ask with deep earnestness whether we are prepared for these amazing scenes should they suddenly burst upon us. From Barnes' New Testament Notes If the whole frame of heaven and earth shall be so wonderfully changed and a new world made, how holy should they be, and how great a degree of purity should they labor to attain unto who expect to live in this new world. Learn hence that the firm belief of Christ's coming to judgment and the disillusion of this sinful world by fire should convince all Christians of the necessity of and engage them in their pursuits and endeavors after a life of universal holiness and that with the utmost care and possible diligence, seeing all these things, what manner of persons ought you to be? From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. Those two commentary passages offer a good answer to the question we have already asked. To glean better understanding, we should first note these three things from William Burkett. 1. We should feel that there is nothing permanent on this earth. 2. This is not our abiding home. 3. Our great interests are in another world. Those three points were contained in one sentence, but I separated them to make them more obvious because this world is not considered our permanent home, 
we should feel there is nothing permanent for us here as children of God. Of all the things one can buy for themselves, of all those things, what is permanent? Yes, we can make or build things that last more than a single human lifetime. Yet, they also break down, necessitating repair and even replacement. So, simply put, they are not permanent, only thought of as permanent because of their long lifespan. By example, many parts on American cars are not serviceable anymore. You can only replace them when they wear out. Such parts are called lifetime parts. Just what, then, does lifetime mean? Nothing in this life and world lasts forever. Even the pyramids and sphinx are noticeably decaying, which is why restoration efforts were, the last time I checked, underway on these great Egyptian landmarks to preserve them from natural decay. Again, not lifetime. Certainly longer than one human lifetime, but not a forever situation or product. Our second point gives us some reasoning as to why this is so. This is not our abiding home. In our abiding home, things will last forever. Our new home is under a whole different set of rules that allow things to last forever, including us, in our new bodies. Thirdly, notice, our great interests are in another world. Not this world. Not here where we live now. But in another world we are yet to see and live in eternally. Now, notice, and hastening unto the coming, margin as in Greek, hastening the coming. The Greek word rendered hastening means to urge on, to hasten and then to hasten after anything, to await with eager desire. This is evidently the sense here, Wettstein and Robinson. The state of mind which is indicated by the word is that when we are anxiously desirous that anything should occur, and when we would hasten or accelerate it, if we could. The true Christian does not dread the coming of that day. He looks forward to it as the period of his redemption and would welcome at any time the return of his Lord and Savior. While he is willing to wait as long as it shall please God for that advent of his Redeemer, yet to him the brightest prospect in the future is that hour when he shall come to take him to himself. From Barnes' New Testament Notes And please note, people, even though it is in the masculine verbiage, we are talking about men and women together. Notice what commentary told us. To await with eager desire. This is evidently the sense here. Wettstein and Robinson. If this meaning for hastening is accurate, then verse 12 would read this way. 
while waiting for and with eager desire the coming of the day of God. Here again is where modern definition can make understanding what is contained in God's Word a bit difficult. However, as you can see, we are not finding some way to hasten things as hastening relates to the speeding up of things. It is about us being so focused on God that while we wait, we wait with eager desire. A simple example is how a child awaits Christmas with eager desire. So much more should we be filled with eager desire that our Lord is coming for us to take us home. With that said, commentary phrased it best. We should feel that there is nothing permanent on the earth, that this is not our abiding home, and that our great interests are in another world, namely, heaven. With this heart, mind, attitude, two things should be the result. One, it would prompt us to lay up our treasures in heaven. Two, it would cause us to ask with deep earnestness whether we are prepared for these amazing scenes should they suddenly burst upon us. There it is. Do we lay our treasures up in heaven? Do we know how to lay up our treasures in heaven? Do we know what our treasures are to lay up in heaven? Three really good questions. Another question. Do we, with deep earnestness or deep honesty, continually maintain our preparedness for the amazing scenes that will suddenly burst upon us? All good questions for you to have your own answers. Now, Remember verse 13? It said that we are, according to his promise, waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. I think it is quite obvious that righteousness does not truly reside in this place at this time. Why? We are a fallen people who have to work at being biblically righteous people. In our fallen state, we fail at this every day, maybe once, twice, or more times. This is why we have salvation in Christ and forgiveness of sins. In this present time, all we need to do is ask for the forgiveness Christ is willing to give us, and it then becomes a forgotten matter according to Scripture. Look it up. It is there. I also quoted it in a previous podcast episode. Verse 13 tells us, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. From Free Version of New English Translation with Limited Notes. Or, phrased a bit differently, but we are looking for a new sky and a new earth which God has promised. Only good things will be in them. From Bible in Worldwide English Are good things in our present world? 
Yes, we can find and see good things here. However, there are also bad things here in this world as well. Notice what the Bible in worldwide English said of the new earth and heavens. Only good things will be in them. The Bible also said of this new earth and heavens, in which righteousness truly resides. Does righteousness truly reside here and now? With things like hatred and murder and other things that are just not of the righteousness of God? While we can find some righteousness, it is not present all the time, as it will be in the new earth and new heavens. Notice these three observations. 1. What is the subject matter of the Christian's expectation? He looks for new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness, that is, only righteous persons and perfectly righteous persons where sin shall no more prevail. 2. What is the ground and foundation of this hope in the Christian? It is the promise of God. We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. To hope for anything that God has not promised is presumption. Hope is the expectation of some future good which God has promised and faith believed. 3. How Christians should qualify and fit, make ready and prepare themselves for this joyful hour, this desirable place and state. Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Give all diligence that you may be found at that day in a state of peace and reconciliation with God by justification, and without spot, and blameless, without any allowed spot or blame, by pressing now after the highest measures of sanctification, that so an entrance may both joyfully and abundantly be administered to you into that kingdom wherein dwells righteousness. From Expository Notes and Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. Notice first, the subject of our expectations, whether man or woman. We look for new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness, that is, only righteous persons, and perfectly righteous persons, where sin shall no more prevail. Clearly, we do not live in a place where sin no longer prevails. So, as has been said, we need to look for the new heavens and earth. We should be excited about it and driven by that expectation at the very least. Yes, there are certain things we need to survive in this life, but the question is, how much do we really need given our home is elsewhere? Secondly, why would we do this? Our hope is grounded and foundational to our looking for a better, said, searching for, 
the new earth and heavens. Why? It is the promise of God, quote-unquote. We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. Hopefully, this is so. Finally, how do we, us as Christians, qualify and fit ourselves? We need to give all diligence that we may be found at that day in a state of peace and reconciliation with God by justification and without spot, and blameless without any allowed spot or blame, by pressing now after the highest measures of sanctification, that so an entrance may both joyfully and abundantly be administered to you into that kingdom wherein dwells righteousness. Even though this is easier said than done, does that mean we should not at least try? Yes, we really should try. Remember, ask God for forgiveness when you miss your objective so he finds us without sin despite our failings here in this life. As I said before, it was covered in a previous episode. If we ask for forgiveness of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and forget them. Finally, please note, it seems also to accord most with probability that, though the earth may undergo important changes by flood or fire, it will not be annihilated. It seems difficult to suppose that, as a world, it will be wholly displaced from the system of which it is now a part, or that the system itself will disappear. The earth, as one of the worlds of God, has occupied too important a position in the history of the universe to make it to be easily believed that the place where the Son of God became incarnate and died shall be utterly swept away. It would certainly accord more with all the feelings which we can have on such a subject to suppose that the world once so beautiful when it came from the hand of its maker should be restored to primitive loveliness, that a world which seems to have been made primarily with a view to illustrate the glory of God in redemption should be preserved in some appropriate form to be the theater of the exhibition of the development of that plan in far distant ages to come. To the redeemed, it would be most interesting again to visit the spot where the great work of their redemption was accomplished, where the Son of God became incarnate and made atonement for sin, and where there would be so many interesting recollections and associations even after the purification by fire, connected with the infancy of their existence and their preparation for eternity. Piety would at least wish that the world where Gethsemane and Calvary are would never be blotted out from the universe. But if, after their resurrection and reception into heaven, the redeemed 
shall ever revisit a world so full of interesting recollections and associations where they began their being, where their Redeemer lived and died, where they were renewed and sanctified, and where their bodies once rested in the grave, there is no reason to suppose that this will be their permanent and unchanging abode. It may be mere speculation, but it seems to accord best with the goodness of God and with the manner in which the universe is made to suppose that every portion of it may be visited and become successfully the abode of the redeemed, that they may pass from world to world and survey the wonders and the works of God as they are displayed in different worlds. The universe, so vast, seems to have been fitted up for such a purpose, and nothing else that we can conceive of will be adapted to give employment without weariness to the minds that God has made in the interminable duration before them. From Barnes' New Testament Notes So, we see, as Scripture says, through a glass dimly right now, especially on this subject. Yes, we can reason and conceive thoughts on this subject that may or may not be accurate. However, we do not know the full context of what God has planned. As the Bible calls new ideas being expressed for the very first time a mystery, this too is a mystery. A place of unrevealed new ideas only presently found in the mind of God our Father until He reveals them in their fullness. Next week, our episode is titled Exhortation to the Faithful, Part 1. What does Peter mean when he says, Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation? Join us next week when we will learn what Scripture is saying. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. Also, Please check our show notes for links to our website and other information you may want to know. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched, currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, 
give our episode titled Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sunday's U.S. East Coast time zone. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh, many sooner than others. Our website is located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.